Hello, this is Daniel Vaillant with both Daniel Vaillant's views of A3 Weeks and Counting and Behind the Story. Welcome to this edition of my show and I believe this I believe I use Patreon for this. So, I'm going to try to be Patreon. And this is my first episode, and, uh... Hmm. What I'm gonna do is... <clears throat> think about some of the matches... Or storylines that led to matches for what I'm about to see. I'm gonna try to see if I can, uh, if I can find a way to keep this within the allotted megabytes that's accepted for Patreon. As I think about it, as I, I'm remembering it now. This doesn't need to be Patreon. I said the other... I had said in a video for Instagram Live or for Instagram TV that I'd be, do, I'd be finishing my episode about... WCW Uncensored 1997. So, welcome to WCW Uncensored 1997. Part 3, I believe. And this is for Anchor. <coughs> Just looking at continue watching section so that I can have an idea, not an idea, but that I can see the last part that I watched of Uncensored 97. I had gotten so excited about watching WCW. 97 that I forgot about um, the WWF part of that year and I was just looking back at earlier episodes I did on anchor.fm and it was really interesting I had spoken about it all the way up until Until I spoke about the night after WWF In Your House Final Four. So, 
that's going to be my next um, episode after this. It's going to be talking about draw episodes after that. I don't really see it anywhere on here. Well, I'm on here. The people who may not, who may only watch the WWE Network for pay-per-views, um, their short-lived WWE Network episodes of something or else with Bruce Pritchard to make it different than the than the regular podcast is they called it something else to wrestle with, and you could see. Um, the live, this is like a live video more than an audio. Instead of audio, excuse me. So, they did one on Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. Did one on Roddy Piper. Uh, one on WrestleMania 15. Those are just three different episodes. I think they did like five, so I would suggest looking that up. Because there are some interesting episodes right there. And that's just on the network. When you listen to the actual podcast, it's even more interesting. Yeah, I don't know why, but... can't find Censor 97 on the continue watching section. Fortunately, we have um, the entering section of the show that brings us to WCW, ECW, and the territories. So here we just go to the pay-per-views section of WCW. Obviously, I deleted that without realizing it. The next match is Harlem Heat versus Public Enemy. <clears throat> In a street fight, I believe.
think Mike Taneda is still out there. They're talking about a magazine of some kind, I believe, was the magazine that Mike Taney. It's a tornado match, by the way. Um. I believe they're talking about the magazine that Mike Taney writes for, and. That it had to be Bobby Heenan because he's the only one who would make critical comments about anything and was usually funny, and this was a funny comment. <clears throat> they started talking about the main event later on. Some people hated that, <clears throat> but I didn't think it took away from the match going on because they would always go back into the match when it would start and they would keep on talking about the matches and what's happening. <clears throat> so I just think it added more to the main event and I think they did that more today. Things like what we see in WCW, it would actually make A lot of the main events and a lot of the mid-core title matches and even the tag team title matches, they would talk more about those matches for later on in the night to build it up, to give people something to think about, and then, and then get right down to the business at hand of the matches that were happening. I think it would be more interesting myself. Once again, I forgot how often it reloaded here, so I'm going to have to just continue to talk until it decides to stop buffering. Okay. Another thing that's missing today is that <clears throat> instead of having people talking to the camera like Booker T or what it would do along with his brother or to having somebody say get that camera out of my face they just go they just act a certain way without words and they go to the ring even though that can help for their character, it's not always fun to watch that. Sometimes you want to see more personality. And that's a, that can be a big time um, drawback from what we like to see as fans. Maybe some fans prefer seeing an entrance and seeing, like for instance, um, Roman Reigns cocking, like we call it, always does like his guy, his fist is a machine gun of some kind or, or a gun, and he hits either the mat or in the entrance ramp, he hits the ramp. 
fireworks will go off. Maybe some people think that that is more exciting or interesting than listening to people talk to a camera. But I think if you do a mixture of both, it can really be helpful. Okay, um, I'm just sitting here watching Public Enemy come out, and I have to be honest, uh, how can I put this nicely? When I look at, um, when I look at how they rustled and spoke and acted, I'm going to be nice as I can about this um, as to not sound like I'm insulting anybody here because I don't ever mean to mock the mock anybody that has died because that would be insensitive but uh, what I believe happened with Public Enemy was they went from ECW which was mainly when they started out um ECW went from being uh, one of the last dying territories who were starting out as a territory along with Smoky Mountain Rustling, territories had already been through, like, say, the last big hurrah that they were going to get. And ECW, because that Paul Heyman took over the booking and he knew that they needed something to come along and and shake up the business or uh, make the business more interesting, he decided to introduce what we call hardcore wrestling today. And a lot of that can go back to Terry Funk or Mick Foley because... Those two guys would do things like that in Japan before hardcore wrestling came along in America. So you could say that hardcore wrestling was always around, but it was never it was never exposed to the level that ECW exposed it to, and ECW was seen as almost like a sideshow part of the business instead of 
part of the business that makes um, wrestling fans love wrestling. Um, legendary manager Jim Cornette said when it said um, sometime down the line like probably late 97 he started airing his opinions on the air <clears throat> and the story of that which when I found out about it I was I was amazed that um, in all the times that my dad would flip through the channels and see Raw every now and then in those days I'm amazed that when I first heard about this that I never heard about it or saw it when it happened because <clears throat> like he said it wasn't long enough to be considered a segment but it was inflammatory enough that it got people to keep it on raw long enough to help them in the ratings and he started one day just he started to just write down his opinions on a website called Bite This before that website became a series on the internet. And he just would always write down his opinions and he would talk about the good and the bad. But the fact that the bad was involving the company he was with, the WWF, at that time. <clears throat> That's why they let him say what he felt. Because that is very surprising that they would let him say anything against the company. So that's why it works so well. But anyway, his comment one week was that ECW was embarrassing. And that's why is because a lot of the things that a Jerry Lawler tried, tried once or Terry Funk made a habit of made a career out of trying, and then McFoley decided to try that style himself, which became known as hardcore wrestling. But when you look at a lot of old matches that ECW had, there is no wrestling. <clears throat> a lot of times you would have them dancing, or, you know, just, it was not a wrestling show anymore. So that's why it was so embarrassing to see, because not only would they use fire on a table sometimes, or thumbtacks, you know, things that McFoley made famous. Not only would they do that, but there was no actual wrestling. Just, um... glorified stunt work. 
There's no athleticism or anything. So that's why it could be considered by a lot of traditionalists as being and being embarrassing. Well, as good as Public Enemy were as professional wrestlers, a lot of their popularity came from the brawling that they did. So, I'm really going to be honest and say that I believe their draw came from being an ECW tag team. Because when they were no longer in ECW and they were in WCW right here, they're in WWF a short time and they just fell off the grid until, at least in my, at least for me, they fell off the grid until I saw them in an M, in a WXW DVD that I had ordered off on the internet. So, I gotta be honest, I'm not gonna be critical or anything, but I just have to ask, what was their real draw? Because that's, that's how you make money in wrestling, is to draw the audience. So, what was their real draw? Because, um, Rocco Rock would kind of rap a little bit while he would talk. So aside from that part, I don't really know what really made them a draw. I was being curious about that. They were tag team for about a week, I guess. And um, they won a triangle match the month before this, which in a lot of people's minds could have or should have put them in line for a tag team title shot because of I guess their ring work and how well they went against Faces of Fear and Harlem Heat. Harlem Heat at this time as I recall were seven or eight time champions. And when um, you beat not just them, but the faces of fear who deserved a title shot, title reign, but never had one. That is a big um, deal, especially in those days. Now, they didn't do a top ten ranking like the territories did, so... I believe, in hindsight, that's what hurt WCW a lot. I think I paused enough for to do to call this talk about this match as it happens live. Okay, not live, but as I'm as I'm airing it is a better word for it. Yeah, trash can, a trash can lid, and. Many different things fell out of the lid. To be honest with you, if it wasn't for the fact that Booker T and Stevie Ray were a great tag team, 
you know, as far as wrestling ability goes, Public Enemy's gimmick should could have very easily been Harlem Heat's gimmick because they're from the streets of, of Harlem, New York, and as far as their gimmick went. So just realizing this, how this was a perf this they were a perfect team to put against Public Enemy. I think they they missed the the fact that they put him against Harlem Heat in only two matches. Harlem Heat lost losing the titles to them and then them winning the titles back from them until Hollow Nash came in and beat them for the titles the year before. I think it's a it's a real big mistake looking back at this that they didn't make this a rivalry like they had with Buckhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater. Um or what they or the rivalry they had with the Nasty Boys. Um, I just think that they could have gotten more out of this. More out of going against them than just having two two different matches with them. But that's just my thinking of it. This is so chaotic, I don't even know how to call this match. Rocco Rock just hit Stevie Ray with a look like a bait, look like a trash can lid outside the ring. Johnny Grunge hit Booker T inside the ring with something. I guess so many, uh, Weapons in that ring. I'm not sure what they were using anymore. But then, what I always loved about since about WCW is how they always would use the split screen whenever you had a match like this. Like Stevie Ray being outside, Booker T being inside the ring, Public Enemy. Because TV Ray stayed outside, still a split screen. And but because there's two members of Public Enemy in the ring now, they put it back to regular screen. I just thought that that was interesting. Now they're all four in the ring. Kurt goes for the scissors kick. Connects on Johnny Grunge. Public Enemy member Rocco Rock. First pinfall attempt by Booker T gets him a two count on Johnny Grunge. Before that, Rocco Rock got thrown over the top rope. Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray goes outside after him. Sister Sherry comes with a trash can lid and hits Rocco Rock over the forehead with it. Another one gets hit over Rocco Rock's forehead. As that's happening outside the ring, Booker T 
get a sidekick on Johnny Grunge, got him down for a two count in the ring. <clears throat> then Rocket Rockets thrown Irish Whip into the steel steps outside. Trash can lid gets hit in uh, Rocker Rock's face and stomach, for forearm over the back, and then another trash can lid to the stomach by Stevie Ray. Now all four men slowly are back in the ring together. Neckbreaker to Booker T for Johnny Grunge after he hits Stevie Ray with a trash can lid. Another trash can lid, and all this, all these, uh, I think that's a cooking sheet, or a sheet you bake with, that was used. <clears throat> An actual, traditional wrestling maneuver that we see all the time used by Johnny, by Rocker Rock onto Stevie Ray. It's when he put his leg or Stevie Ray's neck where the rope sword to try to get him tired, so to speak. All these, because it's just such a crazy match, I'm not, I, when they, if they stop using weapons in this, I'll start saying what they're doing. This is so ridiculous, I'm going to watch it as a fan and enjoy it. Ooh. Try Outside of the ring, Johnny Grunge has got to be... Almost choked by Sherry for Stevie Ray to hit him with something. Then Rocket Rock comes, throws Stevie Ray uh, over the guardrail. It's a good thing Stevie Ray is so big, you would have fell in, in the crowd. He's able to uh, hold on. Ooh. I said ooh because I know this is supposed to be a brutal match, but WCW was very family friendly. So you would see very little blood outside of cage matches and I I think Johnny Grunge Grunge had a slight cut on his forehead. I never noticed it before. <clears throat> Down, Rocker Rock turns around and meets uh, Stevie Ray. Meets the trash can from Johnny Grunge. These were the days where they would have cables laying around. 
the ring side, so able to use that to try to tie get Rock and Rock tired. <clears throat> and see what CB rate goes for here. Whatever it is, I think it's CB rate. <clears throat> Booker T. Gets hit with a uh, trash can lid cover to kick out. <clears throat> I don't know what happened, but whereas Booker T put braids or dreadlocks in his hair when he got older, his brother lost a lot of hair so now when you look at them even if Booker T was to cut his hair again you would still see a difference because Booker T has more hair but back in these days both had about the same hairline so it was easy at times to not tell which one was which if you didn't really pay attention, but you really look at him, not only is Booker T's brother although is he bigger um, than him and the, you know, muscle a little bit broader too and uh, that a lot of people are bigger in muscle but they're not always broader than somebody else I find that he's much more broader than Booker T is as far as his Zeke goes as far as how he's built Again, another cookie sheet for Rock of Rock. Let's use again. Sammy goes down. With a... Tip with the low blow by Rock of Rock. I'm not really sure who tried to get a pit after that. Booker T gets to his feet first. It's his brother CB Ray is trying to get to the ropes. Cookie sheet. Hit by Rocko Rock.
starting to believe right now that as this match is going on that <clears throat> I'm not sure if they really knew what to do next after using just about every bit of uh not even sure what to call that every piece of metal they could find whether it's the cookie sheets or the trash can and the trash can lids I don't know if they knew what else to do go back outside to start fighting again or brawling which is what they're known for um Paused it again to see if that's going to help. <clears throat> okay, um, Stevie Ray just took a trash can lid or cookie sheet himself against one half of the public enemy. I think he's trying to use it to get. Rocco Rock, no, Johnny Grunge, tired. Hmm. Hmm. Back in the ring, side, uh, side slam from, uh, Stevie Ray to Rocco Rock. Ray goes to get throw his brother cross slam splash two saved by Johnny Grunge starts hmm. choking him a little bit with his bare hands Booker T does to Rocco Rock. Ooh. Misses the sidekick. It's draped on the apron until he gets clotheslined by Rocco Rock off of the apron. Ooh. Johnny Grunge pulls Stevie Ray onto the table. Let's see what happens next. Does part of their finisher, half of their finisher, except Rocco Rock, instead of being propelled over his partner, he used a somersault onto his part onto Johnny Grunge to push him into Stevie Ray to break the table. The referee's checking on Johnny Grunge. I believe this is when the horsemen come out. Hold on. Booker T stops Rocco Rock. They both duck. Both duck. Then Rocco Rock clotheslines Booker T, and that's when Jeff Jarrett comes out. Rocco Rock was going to come off the top rope with a maneuver. And the referee stops Jeff Jarrett. 
You know how it goes in there. Boom. He had Rocco Rock in the back with his Halliburton briefcase. Rocco Rock falls completely down. <clears throat> Booker T positions him for his finisher. Goes from the middle rope to the top row. Rolling hangover. Hooks the leg. Two. Three. They win, they win the match. I remember playing WCW NWO Revenge, the PlayStation 4. And I would always hit that when I would win as Booker T. This was very much different than games like PlayStation, where you had to have one or more um, slots filled up to use a finisher. I didn't really know what his finisher was called, so anytime I wanted to win a match, I would try to go to the top row and hit it, and that's how I always won a match. And I always thought this was a unique uh, maneuver, and since he would win with it, I thought that that could be considered his finisher, so I always went with it. Because I thought it was so unique, and I still do today. As I recall, I think this was... Um, this was not a Texas Tornado match like they had with the Nasty Boys, but because of that experience, I know that Booker T swore to himself he would never take another match like that, so I'm surprised because this is really no different in a lot of ways than Texas Tornado, I believe. It's still Tornado, though. So what I remember... Reading from that, I thought, it's kind of strange that he agreed to this match. Oh, I just realized he misjudged, he, Booker T misjudged, um, Rocco Rock's, the distance between himself and Rocco Rock, and he didn't quite get that, his finisher, the way he usually does. They still won the match, and it was still fun, so it's interesting to look back at that. Next, they interview WCW, and then the TV title is up for grabs. Personally, I always love the TV titles, so this is one of my favorite matches to see from this uh, pay-per-view. 
This is their return match from Super Brawl. Um, I don't know how they kept from uh, I don't know how they kept Lord Steven Regal from showing up on here, but um, it was really fun to watch. I remember watching this live. When it happened, it was really fun to watch because of uh, who I was watching it with. And um, when you just have a feeling, by the way, Rey Mysterio Jr., the challenger for the TV title, was dressed almost like Spider-Man in this in this pay-per-view with the way his pants looked and the way his mask was designed it made it look like the uh... Spider-Man suit that Lil Richie wore on Family Matters So that's what that makes me think about it. I'm just when I see things like that, it just makes me curious about a lot of things. Like, what were they thinking about? And my thing was, it's not a bad. It wasn't a bad thing to wear. I'm just curious about if there was anything they were thinking about that made them say made them want, made him want to look like Spider-Man in this match right here. Hmm. I don't usually say things like this, but with it being later, than uh than I realized before makes me think how much longer I can stay awake so did it again. Okay. Makes me wonder much longer I can stay awake, so I'm just thinking about a bunch of different things right now. And, um... Hmm. What made this pay-per-view so great was that by the end of the night, you're going to find out who um, who gets the titles and if NWO stays around or if they are able to get banned for three years that was probably the most interesting aspect 
of this match, looking back on it, now that I know what the purpose of NWO was for in real life, now that I know what the purpose was for the NWO, as a company goes, it makes me, and it makes the story even more interesting to see unfold. Started off where Eric Bischoff, as I spoke about in the previous episode or two previous episodes before this, Bischoff, with his big ego, thought that even though he agreed to putting up the titles against WCW. He thought he could get out of it because of technicalities because he was in charge. All of a sudden, one of the guys above him suspended him because of his actions on TV. So, because his actions can't be overturned, according to the um, tradition of the business, which was probably the best part, that was probably the best part of WCW or TV or the Turner promotion, is that they stayed true to tradition in that respect. So, because he was an authority figure until they suspended him and it was probably real life, because he had become such a pain in the butt. Well, because of that, I believe that's why they made it a, instead of just one stipulation, they gave two stipulations, a benefit for WCW and a benefit for the NWO. And it, in one hand, it ruined the dynamic of the NWO because it was supposed to be um, different. For the first thing they did wrong was letting WCW members join them. Because that, as Dusty said, it was just like the it was just like being a horseman group, or just like being a member of the Freebirds. In other words, it was no longer special to be NWO. Now you're just like the rest of the pack. You're just like every other group that came before you. Didn't stand out anymore. They were cool and the too sweet sign was was iconic to the point that AJ Styles does it with Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows and even Finn Balor does it. But Outside of that, they're just like a regular group. 
But on the plus side, that showed how over they were with the audience. Because you took people that were considered mediocre and you made them a star just by being an NWO member. So, good. So, there's a big balance in being a part of that group. The negative was that it became a regular storyline. The positive was that they drew enough money that you understood why they let regular regular Monday Nitro superstars or WCW superstars, well, they better work for it, join them. Because they were so over, they needed more stars, and they couldn't. There were so many people they could not afford to bring in, or probably did not want to involve the international stars with the NWO. And I'm not saying they didn't, but if it's as probable as I think it is, that they didn't want to do that. I'm not sure why they wouldn't want to do that. But because of that, that's why they did it. And I'm sorry. I was just trying to let it load up and I got off I got off the subject. Okay, I press play to get back to the TV title match. And get back to what I was saying. What I found interesting was that up until this pay-per-view, you would only see Hall, Nash, or Hogan, or Six, or any member of the NWO on, like, say, a Saturday night or a pay-per-view. So, that's what I loved about their stipulation for the main event. They won. They got to be on any show at any given time throughout the year. And I thought that was better. Because they, even though they became even more like a regular storyline, it also is better because... You don't disappoint the fans if you bring in, bring out people that even though they have great matches, they're not the reason buying the tickets. So a lot of times, fans don't like to see people being used unless it's unless it's the person, the main people that they want to see Russell. My dad was not like that, but I used to always get, I always loved watching it, but I would always get disappointed if they didn't. For instance, I'll give you a perfect example. Any Monday Night Raw back in the 1990s, if they didn't show Shawn Michaels, I was disappointed. 
but not to the point of not watching it, but if I had heard about what the match card was supposed to be, I don't know if I would have gone to see it in public, I mean in person, if Shawn Michaels was not on the card. Because that is, he was one of my favorites. So, if that was the case, then I can understand how a lot of, why a lot of fans feel that way. Because it can be very disappointing to not, to not see your favorite stars. On the other hand, if they're injured, you gotta understand why they're not being used. A sock by Rey Mysterio. Reversal into a sock of his own. Does Prince Ikea do? So fast, I can't barely keep up with this. As far as doing it move by move. to the rope and Prince Ikea fell off and rolled rolled back and stood up. Rey Mysterio went for almost like a moonsault moon maneuver off the top rope. Prince Ikea ran to avoid it. Rey Mysterio ran over his stomach instead of the back. Went for a tilt-a-whirl slam. Did Prince Ikea. But instead of the slam, he put him over his shoulder. Shoulders with a back slam. <clears throat> See what he goes for here. Ooh. Went for a springboard splash. Lands on the knees of Rey Mysterio. On for a second against stand up. call this match and then I'm going to stop it and put it on anchor and then come and finish this recording part three and four is what it's going to be thank you himself over the top rope onto the ring apron. Pulls 
blocks the right hand and pulls down Prithaikea over the ropes. And he falls, falls and lands on his feet outside of the ring. Let's see. Springboard, um, somersault to kick out by Prithaikea. Baseball slide to duck right hand, grabs Prince Ikea's arm, but Prince Ikea grabs him. Looks like he's about to go for his version of Scott Hall's right outsider's edge. Gets met with a Frankensteiner by Rey Mysterio Jr. Looks like to kick out. Yeah, looks good. Rey Mysterio, by the way, is my height. So, when I see how hard it was for him to hook the leg of Prince Ikea right there with the Frankensteiner, it's making me think that Prince Ikeo is close, is close to six feet or taller. Which is amazing. When you look at him, he doesn't look that tall. And he's barefoot, so means even more so that he could be taller than he looks. He was barefooted. As Prince Ikeo, he dressed and he was barefoot. whip, Mysterio hit with one himself, pulls, it looked like he was going for head scissors, pulled Prince I.K. over the top rope with him. But he, but he stood, he stayed on the apron and I.K. fell outside onto the mat. I think Rey Mysterio is thinking of doing a suicide dive, or a super cita, as they call it today. Runs, goes, boom. Somersault on top of uh, Prince Ikea outside. If he was able to keep his head up, then he was taught the right way, because the way a somersault is done, to anybody who has not seen wrestling, but knows somebody who has, and, ha and may be listening to it with them right now, um, when the somersault is done, they flip and they land, their legs are on top of you. So, it, makes it, it looks like it'd be difficult for the 
performer who's catching his opponent, it looked like it would be difficult for him to keep his head up. But because you have to keep your head up to make sure you don't get injured with a simple body slam, then I'm positive he learned a long time before this match how to keep his head how to keep his head up while he's landing. Especially when you're going in there against a competitor like Rey Mysterio who did nothing but high flying. Springboard misses Prince landed on his feet, ran to the ropes, back and forth with Prince until he kicks Prince in the stomach. Flip onto the ropes and this time Prince catches him with a few forearms. Picks up Ray. Springboard powerbomb by Prince Ikea. This was before the days of scripting everything from A to Z. So I can only assume this, but I think they're probably talking to each other or whispering to each other. Prince just hit a springboard crossbody press on Terry Mysterio outside where the concrete and mats are and um, because the concrete is so hard I'm sure that's why they have a hard time standing up hits uh, Rosterio over the neck with his elbow let's see Trying to go for almost like an atomic drop or a family back suplex on Ray. That didn't work. He threw. He gave he gave Ray Jr. and Irish Roy into the guard route. Setting up for ooh springboard crossbody from the guard rail and he lands on the mats as Rey Mysterio moves out of the way. Get back in the ring. Stomps at Prince a couple of times. Um, I didn't see the finish of AEW last night, but as the TNT Championship tournament is going is continuing, um, 
I don't really know how far the episodes were filmed. So I don't know how many episodes they got to record until their next pay-per-view, which is May 23rd. But when they call it TNT Championship, it hasn't been disclosed yet what it's about, but it's making me think it could be a modern-day TV title because it's named after the channel they're on. So I'll be curious to find out what championship that really is. Springboard Cesar Mysterio into a moonsault gets a after hooking the leg, he got a two count. Irish foot to Prince and Tom Carter. Not a stinger splash, but a clothesline that propelled him so far, Rey Mysterio Jr. so far. He had to hold on to the turnbuckle of the still turnbuckle to hold on to, and then he climbed where the ropes were to hit a bulldog on Prince Ikea. Hooks the leg to kick out by Prince. Irish, no, stemming her takedown to Prince. Head scissors, better Mysterio. He's got head scissors, yeah, head scissors on uh, Prince, and he actually let go of it, and I think he's going to go for something else. Double leg takedown. Moonsault from the middle rope. Springboard. Two leg to kick out. to the stomach. Slug into an Irish whip. Reversal by Ray. Throws Ray over the top rope. Look at back body drop. Lands on the apron. Does Ray. Right hand to Ray's stomach. Ray gets to the top rope. Sunset flip. Powerbomb into a sit-out pin. Gets a two count. Flip, missile drop kick, connect perfectly. Because with today's day and age, with a drop kick being either sideways, which is the drop kick I grew up watching, or or front, or straight to the face or body, 
That's why I had to say missile because from the top rope they call it a missile drop kick. Goes to the top rope. This is a so he's the first one probably to ever try a senton from the top rope. Leg drop by Prince Ikea. Norman might suplex. One, two, kick out. By Ray. Reversal by Rey Mysterio. It's caught by Prince as we go for a Frankenstein or power bomb. Uh, cover to Brad Shoulder up. I don't know why. Probably because of all the times we would see people go for a leg, like for instance, Hogan's finisher being um, leg drop, the DDT being a finisher of both Jake Roberts and Orrin Anderson, figure four being a finisher for Greg Valentine and Ric Flair. We're so... I think we get so accustomed to finishers that when people win, but they don't um, make a habit out of winning with the same maneuver, we don't know if they have a finisher or not. And for, even though Prince Ikea was a great wrestler as far as Athleticism goes, I think he was a lot like Roman Reigns, where he, uh, it's hard to know how to book him. Matter of fact, I think that was the problem. I think the, I think Prince Ikea, not the name, but the character, the way the character was presented, it was almost like, a, a, I think he, as professional as he was in real life, I think that the way they treated him with the booking made him feel, made him feel like he was um, a glorified jobber. Like, uh, like he, he's champion, but he doesn't belong there. So, I think, looking back at it, that's why, that's why he never got back to the level he was at right here, because, because that was such a surprise, and he was like an underdog. And was never able to get back to that level after losing 
the title as we'll see as time goes on. I'm never able to get back to that level because he was probably seen as that way like you you're great at you're a great wrestler, you're great at executing maneuvers, you got personality but we as fans don't view you as anything but an underdog that just got lucky. No matter what he did with that TV title, no matter what he would do, it felt like, it probably felt to the fans like he should not be champion because that was just how he was viewed. And then later on, when they brought him back, and they repackaged him, that was what the character should have been all along. Because it was probably easier for him to portray because he looks like he would be there. Looks like somebody that is there to have a good time when he is not wrestling. So I think his second character was what his character should have been all along. Right hand to Prince. Prince hits him with the right hand. Ooh, I'm not even sure what they call that. Spinning headbutt to the gut, maybe? By, uh. Prince Ikea. Diving X handle comes comes off the top. Top apron, but axe handle throws Ray back in there. That mare, leg drop, cover to kick out. Reversal by Ray. They probably go, they'll go for a version of the drop kick. Because Ray went for a front drop kick instead of missile drop kick. He accidentally hit Prince between the legs. So Prince is really hurting right now. At least in the way he's selling it. I could have been wearing a cup for all I know. Whip, reversal by Ray. So when he's caught, he goes for head scissors takedown, gets it. Okay. Roll up, one, two, kick out. One, two, kick out by Ray. I believe that was a victory roll that was reversed by Prince Ikea. Lock a couple of times. Both men. Different roll up attempt by 
Prince Ikea that was kicked out of by Ray. Irish puts Ray. Ray goes for a corkscrew plancha from the middle rope, I believe. Cover. Two count. Kick out by Prince. Then the time limit expires. Mysterio did something that I believe is unprecedented at this time. He asked for more time and Prince gave it to him. is illegal so it's not like he's breaking the rules. Chris Lock, Irish Whip, Lip Frog, Hip Toss, Frog, and Zaguri takes down Prince Ikea. Going for some leg drop the middle rope top rope excuse me like a springboard, yeah. Goes over Prince, hooks the leg to kick out. <clears throat> Irish whip coming next. Prince IK reverses it. Prince jumps up on the top rope and gets hit in the gut and then the chest by Ray with the right hand. Ray jumps up twists around and pulls him down with uh, head scissors. Signals for the Oracon Rana. Drops up. Gets it. Roll up by Prince. Two, three. Keeps the title. Okay. That's it for right now. I'm going to come back and finish it. Thank you. Goodbye. And they're both off the board again. Another tight end out of Stanford drafted into the NFL. Going to Pete Carroll, head coach, and John Schneider. <laughs>
Hello, this is Daniel Vayon. I've been podcasting for almost two years, and I just about a month ago found out how to submit, um, manually submit my feed to Apple Podcasts. Well, anybody's getting into podcasting and wants Apple Podcasts, their show on Apple Podcasts, come here and use Anchor Podcasts. Tight ends and they're both off the board again. Another tight end out of Stanford drafted into the NFL. Going to Pete Carroll, head coach, and John Steinberg. Continue to look through what we've got drafted here.